This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this week's podcast, we dig out a revealing internal briefing from MG Rover on the launch of the MGR V8. And we chat to the man behind the famous California Cup auto test, Noel Linford. The MG Car Club podcast. Well, hello and welcome to another MG Car Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you. I hope you're well. Uh, Adam's here as well in Kimber House. Hello, good evening, good night, good morning, wherever you're listening from. Wherever you are, you're most welcome here with us for another, well, 45 minutes or so of MG fanaticism. Yes, it is where, well, basically Adam and I vent all of our MG enthusiasm on you for another week's episode uh, and another week's podcast. Great to hear from all of you guys listening, by the way. You can keep getting in touch with us at mgpodcast.uk. Use the contact form on there or please do use give it a try give it a play in fact i challenge you now if you are listening to this especially some of our long-term listeners that have been with us since the bitter beginning (laughs) to get on the contact form and just leave us a voice message tell us what you enjoy about the mg car club podcast what car you drive where you're from where do you listen to us and we'll get you on the show it's just so much nicer to hear your voices on this podcast instead of just me and adam all the time so use it it's on the website mgpodcast.uk click contact there's a little voice recorder on there follow the steps very easy you can use it on a mobile phone as well and just leave us a message we'd love to feature your messages on your mg car club podcast wouldn't we adam we like to hear from people definitely and to that point i have a challenge for our listeners because um i had a bit of a catch-up with one of the guys from mg motor yesterday we did a did a zoom meeting um Mm -hmm. and i won't say who i spoke to but they did tell me that they'd been at a recent event um and there haven't been very many uh motoring events of late but they were a recent event and there were um, all sorts of cars there. Uh, it was a consumer event. And this person told me that they had spent quite a bit of time talking to an MG Car Club member who was telling them just how brilliant the MG Car Club podcast was. <gasps> I know. Wow. Is it one of our disciples out there in the wild? Spreading the word, spreading the holy word. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so if you were that person and you can tell me who you spoke to and at which event by sending us a voice message i will find a special prize for you from here at kimber house how's that sound excellent that's a brilliant thing and well thank you as well for spreading the word and telling everyone about this podcast because well it means a lot because we we started it during lockdown we do it for you the worldwide mg family and whilst it's adam and myself chatting away about mgs most of the time we do do it for you and you are always welcome to come on this podcast and talk to us the interviews that we feature the people we talk to the messages we read out are members like you listening now so we would love to hear from you and uh, do please keep listening and telling everyone about it in the mg family let's get everyone on board let's get everyone listening and sharing their own stories and chatting amongst yourselves about mgs via the medium of this podcast 
So good news for us here on the MG Car Club podcast that all of you guys are listening and good news for MG themselves actually because the figures are out for their August sales and we've heard it all in the news recently about the difficulties with the economy due to coronavirus and how the demand for new cars has completely disappeared here in the UK and all sorts of different manufacturers are really suffering at the moment but it seems MG continue to buck the trend and this is based on UK sales as well so it is you know right in the heart of the market where all of the others seem to be struggling and year to date MG sales have increased by 32.3% nearly a third which is a third up on the same period last year 2019 in those heady times before coronavirus appeared uh, quite rightly there's a quote on our website at the moment mgcc.co.uk on the news pages there from daniel gregorius who we have spoken to on this podcast earlier he's quite rightly very pleased with their performance and it just goes to show that they seem to be hitting a real sweet spot in the market at the minute don't they adam yeah they do i mean it's it's no surprise when they focused sort of so heavily on um having a couple of really strong value propositions in the market you know the the zs um is a really good value car the hs i spent a week with the other week as we spoke about on the on the pod um you know again really really good quality car um without the sort of price tag that you'd expect for something like that um then you throw in things like the seven-year warranty then you add in things like a really genuinely affordable electric vehicle and the zs ev um and it's not hard to see why mg are doing so well and the exciting thing is you know we've got two more products um to come this year with the um mg5 ev and the hybrid hs which are due to launch to the press later this month so yeah it's really exciting it just shows how popular mg's latest models have become with with the whole buying public not just sort of us guys that are sort of predisposed to mg course as well august marks the last month of the current registration plates as well doesn't it because the 70 plate arrives in september of course it always used to be august when new plates arrive but they're a month later than they used to be years ago now it will be september so that will in turn bring new customers into the market it's generally quite quiet in august anyway that's a really good result and interesting to see the breakdown of the figures what's driving that increase in sales and that success is that zsev and we've said it before many times on the podcast what they have done absolutely right is make a electric vehicle that not only has room in it being an suv as it is for large families and all of the kit that goes with them but also having all of that technology on board the gadgets and the stuff that really sells cars now whilst being a fully electric car and affordable there just aren't that many affordable electric vehicles that are as well equipped as that in the market at the moment i think that's probably where they've really hit it when the 5 EV comes along uh, later this month, you know, that's going to have massive appeal, I think, to, to fleet buyers. And I know that beginning of this year, before the pandemic sort of really got hold of, of everything globally, that MG were really targeting the fleet market. So if they've got another product that, that can appeal to another market that's currently untapped, then, you know, they could grow massively in the last quarter. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting. You couple that with the dealer network, which is growing. 
Um, I think they were targeting something like 120 or 130 dealers by the end of this year. Um, so despite the, the, the effects of the pandemic, the dealer network continues to grow. So there's a real sort of sense of, of growth and, and excitement around MG, which can only be a good thing for all of us. Absolutely. And of course, there is some exciting news that we will be announcing in future podcasts about a new tie up between the MG Car Club and MG Motor and some more activities that we're doing with the manufacturer of the cars these days. I can't tell you any more than that at this stage, but it will be exciting and we'll tell you all about it here on the podcast before anywhere else. So keep with us here on the MG Car Club podcast. Also, they're getting to the stage now, MG, I noticed, where they're starting to do that kind of tease, really, of new products that more, especially in the luxury market, more established manufacturers do, and that is that they start leaking new designs and facelifts, and they've actually leaked what we think is a new HS, haven't they? Yeah, so there's a little bit of confusion over this. Um, yeah. So in the last couple of days, there have been some fairly clear, uh, there were some teaser images last week, um, but this week we've seen some fairly clear um, photographs of um, what was initially described as a facelifted HS, or as they call it in the trade um, these days, an MCE, which stands for Mid-Cycle Extension. Uh, and that, if those of you that are fans of um, of uh, automotive terminology, um, so <laughs> so to me, this car very clearly looks like a facelifted HS. Uh, the profile is identical. The front end has been changed. The rear end has been tweaked. But then the car has been given, certainly to the Chinese media, a different name. Yes, and quite a weird name as well. Well, there's two names, isn't there? Yeah, so the, the, the name it's been given in Chinese or Mandarin um, translates to either pilot or aviator, that yeah, sort of, okay. of term. <laughs> um, it's very clearly um, the same as the HS. The interior looks, looks very similar. Um, like I said, the profile looks very similar. But then there seem to be some stories coming out of China that it might well be marketed as a separate car. Um mm. Now there is there is a precedent here when the um, they carried on making or carried on marketing the Mark II MG6 as the MG6 Classic when the Mark III MG6 came out. So I don't know if they're if they're planning on on doing something similar with the HS. Um, it would be a bit strange if they did. Um, some of the press here with our friends down under have spoken to MG Motor Australia and said, what is this car? MG Motor Australia have said, um, it's, it's not something we'll be getting here. Um, so I don't know. It's a really strange one. Um, interestingly, as well with, with new MG News, um, the MG5 that we spoke about last week, no, not that MG5, not that MG5, the other yes, MG5. this is where it gets really confusing. <laughs> yeah. the, the, small, uh, the small saloon MG5 is currently under evaluation for the Australian market, which would possibly mean that we might see it over here. If it gets taken in one or two right-hand drive markets, that would give MG uh, the financial justification to bring it here. So, again, the MG5 that we've seen also has this new front-end styling again. So this is another 
change of design language for MG again, which would be the third in three years. So, yeah, there's 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 a lot going on design wise with MG, and it's it's potentially quite confusing for an outsider. Absolutely, and what's even more confusing is the actual, as you mentioned, the design itself. This. As stunning as the car looks, it seems to be introducing yet another styling identity into the range here. And if you put all the cars side by side next to each other, there's very little theming going on with the styling of the cars now. And actually, what they're in danger of having here is a car that you see on the road that people don't recognise as the same as the other MG that perhaps they own or that they know more about. I think that's something they've got to watch as they develop this product range, that they actually have some kind of styling theme going on there. If the uh, styling guys at MG care or listen to what we're saying, Adam, which I'm sure they don't, but it's just an observation. As customers and fans of yours, that's all we're saying. But it's a neat-looking car, though. If it does enter the market looking like that, I think that'll be very popular and certainly takes their styling to the next level. They've just got more of a feeling of completeness about them now, the cars that are coming out, haven't they? They look more finished than the cars that we've enjoyed from MG over the past 10 years. Now... You've been digging about in the Kimber House archives once again, and it is time to go back to the 90s, baby. Yes, indeed we are. Come with me in my time machine as we slip back to the early 90s and a car that was recreating a classic British sports car. It was marking the 30th anniversary of a classic British sports car. It was said to be very special a delight to drive, a delight to own, a car for enthusiasts, and a classic car without drawbacks. What car am I talking about, Wayne? You're talking about not the TVR Chimera, but the MGR V8 is what you're talking about. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, this week <laughs> I've uh, popped down to the archive and I have um, grabbed the part of the marketing plan for the rva a bit like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the mgf marketing platform mm. um, this is sort of a, an equivalent document for the rv8 um, but obviously the uh, mg was in a very different place at the time um, when they were planning the rv8 so this document is very different indeed um, absolutely i'm quite surprised to be quite honest with you to see this document and i'm quite surprised that they planned it at all because of course the mg rv8 sort of came out of well it was david bishop at british motor heritage wasn't it that had reintroduced the factory mgb shell in the late 80s for people restoring mgbs that was all great basically he persuaded didn't he the guys at rover at the time to develop the rv8 based on that heritage panel work yeah and there were rumors at the time um leading up to rv8 that bmh were considering putting the mgb back into production um i've read in an old copy of safety fast here um someone asking the question as to whether or not um that was going to happen but um bmh managed to convince rover group to take it a lot more seriously and do something a lot more involved with those heritage shells and the, the result was the rv8 Mm. Well, in the end, of course, it was about 20% MGB and the rest were all new components. Those new components being supplied by Abbey Panels of Coventry in the end. I get the impression that they started off with the idea of, as you say, reintroducing 
the MGB convertible with a V8 because of course the factory never made convertible V8s at all they were all GTs the factory V8s and perhaps it started like that and then sort of morphed into this project where it was almost but not quite a new car yeah I mean it's it's a strange beast the RV8 because it did like you say it did morph and grow over time um I was talking to an RV8 owner uh, just this week and he was saying that as far as he's aware um the the RV8 is something like 4% MGB the rest is completely different and when you look at this sort of list of of planning in this document you know it's it's planned to be the the most exclusive most powerful luxurious production MG ever um, and they talk about Connolly leather and Bur- Burr Elm and things like that. Um, but they do, right from the start, say no electrical wizardry, no electric windows, no power hood, no four-wheel steering, no ABS, no airbags, but unequaled driving enjoyment. Now, I don't know if, if that is... Um, rover group trying to um maintain a sort of pureness to this sports car or if it's more a point that they didn't really have the budget to invest in things like power hoods and four-wheel steering because you know as we know rv8 was developed on a very on a very strict budget um but the result of having that strict budget meant that it did maintain that sort of purity of of those v8 mgs the great thing about it was it did retain some of that mgb dna around four or five percent of original mgb bits were used i think they improved around or modified around 20 percent more and then about you know 75 percent the rest of it basically was all new parts and the good idea was of course that the earlier mgs are quite cramped cars me at six foot four i can squeeze in them because i want to but if i'm honest mgs are little cars and they can be quite cramped but the mgr v8 comes with lots of headroom and you know lots of leg room for even the tallest of drivers i have to the last mgr v8 i drove i had to pull the seat forward such was the room in the cabin and they are a very nice place to be with all of that lovely leather and wood and and cosseted surroundings aren't they they weren't really aimed at your out and out sports car they were the sort of thing to cruise to your timeshare in southern spain it's got a big enough boot to bring back the duty free in as well it was that kind of vibe of a car i get the impression but of course the the big market that it did do very very well in um was japan oh they loved it 80 percent of them went to japan in uh, for, in, uh they just absolutely lapped them up and so many of those japanese cars then of course like boomerangs came flying back to the uk later on in the early 2000s didn't they yes and of course you know how to spot a japanese market car don't you wayne well it'll have a radio that you can't get any radio stations on like all <laughs> japanese imports so that'll be the first one of course uh kilometers an hour on a speedo that's another one and um probably there are some lighting changes because quite often they have different restrictions on lights as well don't they in japan so there um, is a dead giveaway you can spot a japanese market rv8 from from 10 paces and I'll, right. tell you, I'll tell you now and i'll tell our listeners exactly how to how to spot one So the Japanese market cars will have a Rover script badge on the doors. Okay. On the the bottom quarter of the door. 
and if you see one head on um, while the UK market cars had the indicators on the outside and then fog lamps on the inside or driving lamps on the inside the Japanese market cars don't have the driving stroke fog lamps they have uh, extra intakes for what I believe is the air conditioning and one of the things that the MGR V8 did do really well, now bear with me on this one guys, if you're not of a technical persuasion, this might not be of any interest at all, but I'm going to say it anyway because I like to get geeky now and then. In my opinion, the Rover V8 was at its best in the MGR V8, not because it had any more power, in fact it was fairly low down on power in some of its other applications like that aforementioned TVR, but mainly because one of the things that Rover V8 owners will know is that if you ever have to change the coolant or you have to replace a radiator or do anything with the cooling system they are an utter nightmare to bleed because generally speaking the inlet manifold which is part of the cooling system it has coolant running through it is higher than you can ever get a header tank in most British car designs in the engine bay and so they are a real pain to bleed the air out of the system but in the MGR V8 and the Range Rovers as well they had the same system they had a like a, a pipe along the top with a bleed valve in the top of it and one of the things you'll notice when you open the bonnet on an MGR V8 is that bleed valve stares you straight in the face but it is so handy and I think that's one of the things that the MGR V8 really has got a lot going for it very easy to service in that respect because by the time the Rover V8 got to 1993 when of course these cars were launched they had identified so many of these problems and it benefited from some of those little fixes that made them just easier to live with definitely i mean the the rv8 has really grown um in popularity you know it's a well-loved car within the club um and also the values have have really shot up um you know then they're, they're expensive cars to own now if you want to tell us all of the things that we've got wrong about its details and history get in touch and get on the mgpodcast.uk website use the contact button and tell us all about it we'd love to hear from you so let's uncover more about this document. What is exactly this document all about? This is the, I'm guessing, the marketing strategy, is it, Adam? Yeah, so it talks about um, the reasons for purchase for the RV8, um, its Britishness, its exclusivity, because obviously they were built to such um, limited numbers. Um, maybe they were a previous MG owner. Um, maybe it was someone that always wanted a British sports car. Um, they're very clear to identify some of the rivals that, that we've already spoken about and said the RV8 is not a TVR Griffith. It's not a Chimera. It's not a Morgan. It's not a BMW 3 Cabriolet. It's not a Mazda RX-7 or Toyota Supra or a Nissan 300ZX. They even go as far to say... And remember, this is 1992. Mm. It's not a runabout for wives to be used by husbands at weekends. <laughs> <laughs> not really quite sure I understand what that means, to be honest. No, I don't really get it either. No, but fair enough. That's obviously something they thought was important for the marketing uh, budget and the tone of voice when talking about the car when promoting it. They didn't have to do a lot of promotion for it, really, because, to be quite honest, they didn't have an awful lot to sell. They were made in such tiny numbers. There was about 18 people employed working on the MGR V8 during its design and production, and they only turned out about 15 cars a week for a very short amount of time. 
you know they were completely hand built that's the thing to remember but what's really interesting is there's a list of customer targeting in this document uh, and it says existing interested prospects local businessmen entrepreneurs vips etc local branches of professional associations lawyers doctors dentists vets <laughs> range, <laughs> <laughs> range rover owners uh, local right. rotary yeah there local rotary club local golf polo sailing club uh, buy up prospect lists use prospect lists from your appropriate franchises in your groups do not target mg car clubs as customers how interesting now i wonder yeah. why especially given the fact that this car is just reeks of nostalgia and longing for the past doesn't it really it's not like yeah. a groundbreaking new design here it was basically the, their best attempt at carrying the mgb through into the 90s so it would appeal to those more traditional mgb owners and it's an interesting thing because uh, you know we talk about the modern mgs and we talk about the mg car clubs very good relationship with mg motor today a relationship that most car clubs who look after vehicles that are still in production don't have with their manufacturers it's safe to say and that's mainly because a lot of manufacturers still have this opinion of car clubs don't sell mm. to them avoid them at all costs i guess it's all about trying to get the new customer into the brand again for the first time i guess i mean i could understand it a little bit more with the with the mgf uh planning document that we looked at when they said you know don't go on any, on any trips down memory lane because it was clearly very hard for any car to live up to the expectation that would have been placed upon it when mg had gone for so long with no new sports car um but the mgf was something very very different this is a car um that like you say is based solely around nostalgia um solely around what mg had been and perhaps could have been had the the mgb development continued through the 80s um but yet the the planning document says not to talk to the likes of you and i about it mm. it's um it's a strange one very interesting insight there into the launch of the mgr v8 in 1993 and they were made just down the road i believe from kimber house in cowley weren't they these were not a long bridge car no no they were they were produced in 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 oxford at cowley and part of the launch program as well that's also talked about in this document is um inviting people to go on a tour to go and see the the production facility um it also included a in rover's exact words a tantalizing glimpse at production of the rover 600 and 800 models um lunch was included um but you did have to pay a 30 pound deposit to secure your place uh, and this was put in place to ensure that only and i quote the right kind of people were attending the tour none of those pesky car club people keep them away they, <laughs> they can jog on we don't want them here hey well, there we are. MGR V8. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club Podcast. 
Well, now on the MG Car Club podcast, we've covered most forms of motorsport here over the past few weeks, but what we haven't covered is auto solos and auto tests. But never fear, we have uh, the subject well covered now because we're joined now by Noel Linford, who actually organises some of the uh, uh, autos tests and auto solos that we have at MG Live at uh, the big event for the MG Car Club, of course. And Noel joins us now. Hi, Noel. Hi, Wayne. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Sure. So you are the man responsible for one of the f- most famous bits of MG Live, aren't you? Tell us all about uh, what... Uh, <laughs> well, well, explain, I suppose, because sort of assuming everyone's done one or, or watched one or knows what one is, explain what auto tests and auto solos are for those that don't know. Okay, well, the subtle difference is that auto tests uh, involve forward and reverse manoeuvres, whereas auto solos are an all-forward form of uh, motorsport. They are probably the cheapest and simplest way to get into motorsport, and anybody can take part with any kind of car, uh, ideally with an MG for the California Cup, obviously. Um, But what it is, it's a pre-described circuit of cones, uh, which you have to attempt to get round these cones in in the manner that uh, the course is laid out against the clock. Uh, without striking cones, and where you need to stop a strider line, you stop a strider line. If you go back into a garage, you've got to get all four wheels into the garage. So it's it's a test of driving skill and manoeuvrability of your car, and it's, it's, it's great fun to do it. The auto solo is basically all forward. Again, it's a course of cones laid out. You've got to follow the pattern of the cones, but these cones are marked in the numbered which makes life a little easier. And there's a yellow cone laid down to tell you which side of the cone you don't need to cross or go past. So there could be maybe 30 cones you've got to follow on a circuit to get to the end and possibly a flying finish to finish the run. That's an auto solo. And the auto solo, you can have a navigator or a passenger in the car with you, whereas on an auto test, you're clearly on your own. It's one of the cheapest forms of motorsport, but the great news is you can use any car for it, and it's you know you could just go on there with the MG that you turned up in. It needs no special equipment at all, does it? That, that's right. Uh, we have actually got up to nine classes of cars, uh, and the ninth class is for modified vehicles. So the people who've got the trick midgets with limited slip diffs, five-speed gearboxes, and hydraulic handbrakes, they're catered for in this in the modified class. But there are classes for all the models from 1924 right through to the latest SUVs and the 635 register. Now, the challenge for me as clerk of the course to lay this out, as, as I didn't realize, there are a vast new range of turning circles for vehicles. You know, getting around the course in an 1880 is very different to, different to doing it in a 1275 midget. So I had to take account of all of that and make sure that the course can be got round. You don't need to do a three-point turn to get round a cone. It is designed to be fast and flowing, but it does accommodate the turning circle of all of the cars that we've got in our wonderful collection of MGs. Well, of course, we call the main feature the California Cup, and an unusual name, but there's a great story behind why it's called that, isn't there? There is indeed, yes. Um, This was a, a, a trophy that was presented to the MG Car Club by the Long Beach MG Club, uh, back in 1959, and the event initially uh, was actually held at Longbridge in the uh, front of the Austin plant, uh, and it was basically a BMC competition. And I think uh, the first lady driver, or the fastest lady driver to win that event in 1959 was in a brand-new Mini that she'd only bought three or four weeks before the event. 
So that tells you something. Uh, but the, the, the California Cup trophy itself is uh, an inter-centre trophy. So if it's for teams of three cars, three MGs, from any of the centres within the MG Car Club in the UK. So you put a three-car team together and the, the, the fastest team with the lowest aggregate score, in other words, the less, least number of penalty points and fastest time, is awarded the California Cup. Uh, Long Beach Centre or Long Beach MG Club, to give them their correct title, um, awarded the club the California Cup uh, back, back in 1959 as a competition for intercenter challenge of the of the auto test. But also, uh, there's a big link with um, Tiny Centre and the Long Beach Centre, Long Beach MG Car Club. Uh, we've had people going across to visit them from the 19, late 1970s, and from the 70s to the early 80s, the United States Grand Prix F1 was held at Long Beach, and the Long Beach MG Club provide the marshals for those events. And in 1980, um, Brian and Kath Island, two of our long-standing members, went across there, and they were actually marshalling on the F1 Grand Prix. Brian was marshalling in the pits, and Kath was out on one of the um, marshal points on the tr on the track. Um, and that wouldn't happen today, would it? Just incredible. And they came across here in 1982, and they awarded us our own Tyne Tees Long Beach Trophy, which is competed for by Tyne Tees members competing in motorsport on events away from Tyne Tees Centre. So that's one of our annual awards. So a little link there with Tyne Tees Centre and uh, Long Beach. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what this podcast is all about, is about connecting the worldwide MG community in the same way that events and groups and things like that do as well. And uh, it's great yeah. to hear how the MG community, no matter where you are, sort of links together and works together like that. It's, it's a great yeah, thing of being brilliant. part of the yeah. MG Car Club, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's just an amazing worldwide family of people who love MGs. What's wrong with that? Yeah. But there are other trophies uh, that run alongside that, like the BMC Trophy, the Register Trophies, um, and the Longbridge Trophy. Uh, and they all cater for different variants of, of cars, so the register trophy is for the earliest Triple M's, the 1880s, and the T-type cars. The BMC trophy is for midgets, MGBs, magnets, the Z-type magnets. And the Longbridge trophy takes care of the more modern cars, the front-wheel drives, the Zs, and uh, the SUVs, the 635s, etc. Uh, but you also get awards for fastest time of the day. And uh, the MGB register also have a special trophy for the fastest MGB competing on the day as well. And we have the fastest lady driver award. Let's not forget that. Of course, and they are hard fought. These awards, I know, having seen uh, uh, the various teams take on the uh, uh, the auto tests at uh, MG Live, and although it does look from a distance a bit of fun, you know, trying to get around the, the cones as quickly as possible, it does get very, very competitive, especially oh, as the times start to get smaller and smaller, don't they? Absolutely, yes. It, it, it's time down to a a tenth of a second, and, and you know, a tenth of a second can make all the difference. And uh, the, yeah, the 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 passion and the uh, skill that goes into it is is to be seen. You know, I mean, these are world class drivers that you see doing this at Silverstone. It's it's quite good something. I used to take part myself back in the nineties. I was in the Tynes BMC team uh, in an MGB, and I, I didn't exactly disgrace myself we actually came second in that so that wasn't too bad but that was on uh, the grand prix circuit that wasn't being used for the racing uh, near bridge and there was a series of short quite technical tests several of them 
which wasn't really a, a, what I would call a spectator sport. So when the event was moved into the centre of the, the event at Silverstone, uh, adjacent to Cops Runway, we had this huge, expansive place to play with. I thought, right, I need to make this fast and flowing and entertaining for the audience. And that's why we've got the tests laid out the way they are today, with initially two sets of tests running side by side. And then we opened the whole, the whole thing up to one large, expansive test, uh, which really gives the full reign of what people can do with the car. And it's very entertaining for the audience, even more so when we've had commentators taking part in the last couple of years as well. <laughs> Not critiquing well, the drivers, but giving people information on what's happening in the cars and that kind of good stuff, you know? Because it's a very easy form of motorsport to get into straight away, it actually is a brilliant way of getting infected with the motorsport bug. And we spoke to Helen Blake here on the podcast a few episodes yeah. ago, and she turned up at MG Live and had a go at uh, the auto test and then ended up having a whole career in motorsport afterwards. And she does autograss racing now. Oh, as well. that's just, right, yeah. Just an example of you know how it can really be that stepping stone into the sport, really. Yeah, yeah. And she's won the fastest lady driver award on the last two events that we've run there. Mm. She is pretty quick in her MGF, yeah. So uh, the message is uh, when you see the uh, option to have a go, do have a go. Just bring your MG yeah, along yeah, yeah. and uh, and give it a bash. And uh, yeah. you, and because you have all those different classes, of course, you can be competitive because you know yeah. an MG midget is pretty formidable on an auto test, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. One telling point I had, as clerk of the course, you're obviously – uh, touring the course, checking that the marshals are happy and keeping an eye on everything. You, you really, literally need eyes in the back of your head. But I did manage to pick up some conversation from the people in the crowd. And a number of people said, I didn't know this was on. And if I'd only known, I would have entered my car. Well, the, the, I don't know where if I'd only known was from because it's been advertised several, to, several weeks in safety fast. But there you go. You know, people just turn up on the day and just amazed at what, what it was all about, which was brilliant. Having seen so many competitors give the California Cup a go over the years, what mm -hmm. do you think are the top tips you could share with someone who fancies giving it a go for the first time and actually been a bit competitive about it? Well, make sure that your car is um, mechanically very sound, okay? And make sure that you're or fair with driving your car in tight manoeuvres, shall we say. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about improving your driver and skill and, and car handling. You know, so uh, if you can join, uh, take part in an auto test in your local centre, uh, that that would be great. You know, and get get familiar with tr driving the car in that kind of manner. Um, it's it's about control, it's about precision, and it's about uh, discipline, really. You know, overdoing things, knowing what the limits of you and your car are. But it, at the end of the day, it's about having fun. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about: is having fun and using your car the way they were meant to be used. Absolutely. And have you got any tips for remembering the course? Because quite often you sat on the start line and you think, I mean, you've watched people doing it for hours and having great yeah, fun. Yeah. And then it comes to your turn and you are sure you know which way to go around those cones, but you just see a sea of cones in front of you and you can't remember ah, which well, one's yes. which. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. Well, I, I've gone I've gone some way to try and make that simpler because I use a great use of coloured cones. Mm. Okay, so... Uh, we give people a printed course layout, and the little dots on the on the on the plan, which are the cones, are actually colour coded as the colours of the cones. And there is some kind of logic to the way I've laid this thing out. So if you see a blue cone, there's a good chance it's a 360 spin to go around the cone. Um, 
And so it, 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 we use colours for that. But you get a you get a copy of, of the course layout, and everybody walks the course. That's the key. You can walk the course as many times as you want, as long as there's time available. Uh, and you basically walk the course as if you were dri- the way you would drive it. So if you're doing a bit of reversing across a stop or stride, you walk backwards and check it out. And uh, so that's what you do. Walk the course, then go back to the start, look at the overall course. And if you ever watch downhill skiers, they're actually running the course, the slalom events, in the mines, just eyes shut, moving your body left and right and working out where you're going to go. You can see people doing that in order tests, you know. Some people go on the, on a bike. Hartley Pull Motor Club, you get people, some of the people taking part there. They're, they're walking the car, literally dry, riding the course on a bike. But uh, whatever works for you. But it, it, you do, you know, a little bit of memory would be good. But you've got the course on your dashboard, hopefully, a, a version of it. And if you, if you have gone wrong, if you can retrace your steps without going to the next gate, uh, you lose a bit of time, but you won't do a wrong test. So that's something to think about as well. Don't panic is the first thing. Yeah, whatever you do, don't panic and just enjoy it, you know. And it, 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 the more you get into it, the more easier it becomes. And you get used to uh, learning the, the way the course is laid out. And you, you understand the, the way the course is flowing and what it's trying to do. And of course, anyone who has been to MG Live and has uh, come across the uh, auto test going on in the middle there of the show will have heard all of the cacophony of tyre screaming and all the rest of it. But that's not always the quickest time, is it? Those that make little noise often go faster. Absolutely, yes. Nice and tight and precise. Um, I mean, obviously, certain cars can do handbrake turns a lot easier than other cars can. Very easy in a midget. Not so easy in my TF85 because I've got so much weight over the back. I would need a hydraulic handbrake to do that, which some cars have, but I'm not prepared to do that. So I just, I just power drift my round bends, you know. But you work out where the, the limit of adhesion is on the tyres. Listen to your tyres and they'll tell you when, you're, when they're complaining too much. It's so exciting. I feel like I should be out there giving it a go now. Uh, hopefully you're <laughs> listening to this and inspired as well. Tell us all about life in Tyne Tea Centre of the MG Car Club. Well, life, life, life in Tyne Tea is always, is always very good. Uh, we have a very vibrant calendar of events. Our, our area covers from just south of Berwick down to uh, into North Yorkshire uh, and right across to almost into Cumbria. So we've got quite a big area. Probably got more sheep than people, but it is a very big area to cover. Uh, and so we have two natters, uh, the north and the south. And um, our calendar always involves four major road runs each year, all of which have a different flavour to them and a different theme. We've got the cobweb run, which in, often takes place in the wilds of Northumberland. And that's a real mix of driving challenge and, and brilliant scenery. Uh, the premier event we've got is basically two runs in one. It's the Prince Bishops and St. Cuthbert's run, where we have two events that start, one in the south and one in the north. And we call them a tour through history, and that's what they are. Because uh, the Prince Bishops run, in part, follows the route of the Prince Bishops that used to come up from... York Minster to Durham Cathedral to be ordained, and we do we do try and put elements of that route into into the event. Um, and the northern one is St Cuthbert's run. St Cuthbert lived uh, over at Lindisfarne, and so uh, the run starts somewhere up in that area and follows the trek that the the, uh, the brought his body when he died down to Durham Cathedral, where he's actually buried. So very scenic, very very interesting. Uh, and the, the, but the end of the run, we have sixty MG cars all come together in front of Durham Cathedral around Palace Green, and that's quite something. And so we call it uh, two, 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 two tours through history with one glorious finish, and that's what it is. <laughs> 
To see all these wonderful cars around Palace Green on a sunny day, having a cream tea, life doesn't get much better than that, you know? Absolutely. And and you've got roads there up in Northumberland just made for MG driving, haven't you? Well, across the whole of the North East, you know. I mean, the the, the next one we do is the um, old Speckled Hen Run, the Tyne Tees version of that. And that also incorporates uh, what used to be called the Harriet Road Safety Trial. Well, I can really feel the passion for the MG Car Club activities and indeed the MGs from you, Noel. Tell us about your own cars and your own sort of story. Where did your MG story begin? Is it something that you've been involved with for a long time? Well, it was nearly an Austin Healey story, actually, because uh, my dad used to work for a main Austin, Austin Healey distributor in Darlington. And when I was 17, my dad was very keen for me to have an Austin Healey Sprite. My mother was less so, so I ended up with an Austin A35. <laughs> but as you do when you're 17, you paint the wheels red, you put cross-union flags on the on the doors, and you, you have a leather rim steering wheel, and, you, and it, it was pretty cool that I realised that Graham Hill used to race an Austin A35, so that made things a bit better, really. Um, so A35 and an Austin A40, which was a step up, a bit more power, and then I got my first MG Midges in 1970 which was a Mark II, 1098cc, British racing green, with a white stripe down the bonnet, and I thought that was absolutely brilliant. A lovely, lovely car. <clears throat> and uh, since then, I've had three MGB GTs, all of which have been daily drivers and workhorses, and an MGB Roadster. And I'm pleased to say that all four of those MGBs are still on the road. I checked the DVLA website the other day, and they're still about. They benefited from your TLC along the way then, Noel, obviously. Well, me and, and, and a good friend of mine, Dave Farrow, who, who did a lot of uh, restoration work on some of the cars for me, and he was always the go-to man if I had a really major problem. But I did like to try and maintain them. Uh, I've currently got a, a, a TF 85th anniversary, which I bought new in 2009. Um, Ian Pogson, you probably know, was the project manager for that car, and he wrote a very enticing article in Safety Fast in 2009, about how good the car was and the differences in this unique suspension. And he said, the only way you're going to find out how good this car is is to buy one. There won't be a demonstrator. You're going to have to buy one. So that was it for me. I bought it. And it's been proved to be brilliant. And having done the um, MGs on track uh, test day at Northfield Airfield, where you, you literally push the car to the limits, uh, I realized what he said about the fact that you can actually catch an MG TF85 on the limit where most mid-engine cars will spin when you, you lose it. You know, you just can't catch it. But this, it did what it said on the tin. It does, it, it does work. And brilliant. The handling is just amazing. It's, it is without doubt the best sports car that I've ever had. And the other car I've got is a ZTT. Uh, it's a shot silk one. It's the only one that made in shot silk. Um, Justin Smith has got one that's been respread in shot silk. Hello, Justin. But mine's the original only factory one in Z in Shot Silk. And I've had that for 10 years. It's done 181,000 miles. And it's an absolute mile eater. It's brilliant. Yes. Comfort and power. Uh, fantastic yes. combination in those Zs. Yep. Well, now, Noel, we've inspired everyone to have a go at uh, auto testing and auto solos with their MG uh, for the next California Cup, which hopefully, all being well, will be at MG Live in 2021. How do people yep. go about entering? What should they look out for and how should they prepare? Uh, it'll be part of the MG Live promotional material that's pushed out uh, as soon as we've got a date for MG Lab and it appears in Safety Fast and uh, you can sign up for it there. There'll be stuff on the website telling how what uh, the California Cup Auto Test is all about and the Auto Solo. Um, you might find that the Auto Solo hopefully will be run by our good friends at Oxford Motor Club 
because I tried to run the two events together uh, on consecutive days in 2017, and it was a killer. Uh, we were out there at 9 o'clock at night testing the course, having rearranged the whole thing. I mean, this is a big area, 100 metres by 70 metres wide. And um, I, th I thought, we, we need somebody else to have a go at the one on the Sunday. So it could be Oxford Motor Club doing that. But we're, I'm going to be involved with it, you know, clearly. But the California Cup is, is, I'll be the clerk of the course for that. Well, I have uh, images of how you must go about designing the course at MG Live. Do you have miniature cones that you spend hours laying out on a table, or how do you go about designing it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I realised what we, we we needed to make it flowing and expansive, as I said, because we've got this big area in the centre of uh, Silverstone, and so you know, having done all the tests before, knowing what what works and what doesn't, and I. I I've been auto testing for a while now with Hartlepool Motor Club and Durham Motor Club as well. Um, uh, so you, you get a feel for what works and, and how things are laid out. So based on that, I designed the course. And actually, uh, in the first year I did it, I actually set, set the cones out on a, a test site that Hartlepool Motor Club had in two halves because they hadn't got anywhere near the space of this. But I did it in two elements to prove it would work. And I got two of our Tantese members to try it out with me. So they were happy that the course worked the way I wanted it to work. It flowed well. And uh, it, it was also the, a reasonable challenge, let's just say that, you know. And the proof in the pudding was that um, when the Ulster Centre won it in 2017, uh, they were rather complimentary about the way the, the event was run, which was very nice of them, you know. And everybody has done it uh, has, has been... Very pleased with the way it's been run, which is good. Not too many wrong tests, because that's the worry. You don't want to have a course that's so complex that everybody starts to do a wrong test. And that wasn't the case, so we were very pleased about that. Fantastic to have your enthusiasm shared with us here on the MG Car Club podcast, Noel. And uh, great to get an insight, actually, into how this fantastic but accessible form of motorsport comes together at MG Live for the MG Car Club. So, uh, Noel Linford, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Nice talking to you, Wayne. Bye-bye. MG Car Club Podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. More new merchandise in the MG Car Club shop. I can't believe she's found some more stuff to add, Adam. But I have to start with this one because let's just justify the price on this because I was a bit surprised when I saw it at first. There's an MG Car Club mug here, but it's 25 quid. Yes, but it's more than just a mug. It's, um, it's a travel cup um, and it's thermally insulated so oh. um it's uh it's not one of these cheap ones that you can get for a fiver when you spend 20 quid on petrol um <laughs> this is a, a proper good quality um almost like a thermos cup that will keep your drink hot all day um i said to you on the on the podcast last week that i'd spent sort of seven or eight hours in the car um i went off to, to norfolk on a on a job um and i made a cup of tea in one of these cups um and by the time i got back to to fairford um in the evening i had about a mouthful in the bottom and it was still exactly like it had just come out of the kettle so um yeah well worth uh, well worth the price 
always very handy uh, and always good for long trips in the morning to car shows i always think because very rarely can i i mean i don't know i know some people have a hearty breakfast at like 5 5 a.m but you know the, some of these car events you have to go to you have to leave the house at like six in the morning don't you roof down freezing your bits off very nice just to have a nice coffee to take out the house slide into the mgb and uh, shoot off basically in the cold frosty mornings with the roof off of course and uh, it's perfectly complemented by a nifty little device i recently bought which is like a cup holder that clips over the window the side window or goes in like the window channel it's very handy so uh, obviously cup holders are not abundant in earlier mgs but that solves all of those problems so uh, there you go 25 quid it is and it's on the mg car club shop now it is a we'll call it a kind of travel mug stroke thermosy flask type thing go and have a look at it you can uh, search for it very easily on the mg car club shop by putting travel mug in it will come up under that or of course we'll send you a link in the e-newsletter out every saturday afternoon and something really nice that's on the shop that i quite fancy actually not at all functional just beautiful and something that you need on every shelf i think and if you've got bookshelves if you've got somewhere anywhere basically that in your living room that just needs a pretty little model then there is a whole selection of these stunning little models diecast models of mg magnets and there's all sorts of different color combinations of them as well isn't there adam yeah they're really nice they're lovely little models and after talking to tom uh, mccuey last week I've sort of had my my interest peaked in the magnet, so um, yeah. What why why not start off with uh, with a lovely little diecast model? Um, we've got the ZA and the ZB magnet available on the shop. Um, so yeah, so if you're a diecast collector, it's um it's the perfect addition to your collection. They're fantastic and reasonably priced as well. There's some mental prices on models, especially diecast models out there at the moment. These are one to forty three scale at twenty one pounds fifty, and also the smaller one to 76 scale ones are just four pound 50 less than a fiver um the significance of course of one to 76 scale being you'll have to tell me mate well it is the scale that double o railway modelers model in so double o gauge model railways like hornby and stuff like that they model in one to 76 scale so if anyone in your family has train sets or model railways if they're if they're really into it by the way don't call it a train set they will get really upset call it a model railway <laughs> don't ever do that uh, so if they're into their model railways one to 76 scale is double o gauge uh, size so uh, that's the significance of that so uh, lovely if they're doing a nice 1950s model railway layout they'll fit in lovely like that be nice i fancy one myself and also of course a whole load of books on the mg car club shop um we point out quite a number over the last few episodes uh one that's recently just um piqued our interest is the book of the story of mgs on patrol it's called mgs on patrol and it's talking about all the mgs that were once police cars which is excellent and it's a books i want to talk about now actually adam because i got something very special through the post i'm very excited about this i've spent as much time as i have spare reading it and i've still got loads more to read it's just a fantastic book it's not currently for sale in the mg car club shop but hopefully we'll see what we can do about that it's actually not about mgs at all i just wanted to talk about it because it is a wonderful thing if you are in any way interested in the rallying exploits of bl bmc cars 
and i'll just read you the first page of this and it says to wayne that's me hope you're well <laughs> just reminding you uh, just from uh, yeah just in it. case we'd forgotten yeah uh, uh, hope you're well and enjoy my journey through the golden years of rallying and it's signed brian Culcheth. And the book is called Global Travels of a Rally Champion, and it is Brian Colcheth's autobiography, in effect. Uh, I say that kind of guardedly because it's not necessarily much about his personal life. It is about his entire career from beginning to end. It's a large sort of A4 size hardback book. It's got four words in there from Paddy Hotkirk and uh, it was written with Pablo Raybold and it is a, just a stunning piece of work hardback which means they've given a lot of space and room to the photographs and it's beautiful it really is it takes you through all the results uh, scanned sort of artifacts and stuff from the rallies it's just great so it's a brand new book from Brian Colcheth Global Travels of a rally champion it's called and i am treasuring my copy at the moment and loving every minute of it and every page so i just thought i'd mention it adam yeah nice it sounds like a good read mate i mean it's getting to that time of year when you know we started this it was it was dark in the evenings yeah we're getting to the point now where the the nights are drawing in and what better than to curl up with a good book um yeah no it sounds like a good read mate absolutely and you know there's all sorts of stuff in there that and this is why i love reading books you don't get from the internet the sort of information that i like to store in my head basically um i like to soak all of the stats and the details and the stories behind the cars and the rallies and the development of these models i like to soak it all up and you only get that from a book you don't get it from the internet and wikipedia and people's blogs and stuff i'm sorry but you just don't you've got to hear it from someone like brian who was there living it and has recorded it on paper in a tangible form for us all to enjoy thank you brian for that lovely book you must read it guys i just give it to you as a recommendation of mine basically nothing to do with mgs at all adam but we're all car people here we have varied and wide set of interests i think amongst us definitely all are welcome here absolutely <laughs> and all are welcome to join us for the next episode which will be released in another week from now so until then it is cheerio from me and it's bye-bye from me see ya subscribe to receive new episodes of the mg car club podcast at mgpodcast.uk